Film Files, hello, we're back with ya, we're certified fresh, and we're ready for the guest. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Ben Snowden. <laughs> I think I'm Stuart <laughs> Randolph. <laughs> and this is Movie Show Theater. I'm speaking through a megaphone. <laughs> dance with the devil in the pale moonlight what we've got here is failure to communicate open the pod bay doors now i'm sorry Dave. i'm afraid i can't do that what do you want you want the moon just say the word and i'll throw a lasso around and pull it down what's your favorite scary movie you've never seen a grown man naked just watch this is this is our i'm 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 gonna wait till uh next week to uh break out the kleenex but this is our the second to last uh episode with the three of us and uh it's been a great run so i came up with a game tonight game on the game i didn't invent the game i think it'll be a good time it's also not the movie the game but whoever (laughs) wins picks the last movie that we do Oh, the stakes are high. I thought about maybe stakes I'll do a high. Superman 3 VHS, but then I was like, uh, you know yeah. what? Let's do the game instead. Yeah. So the way this works is I'm going to read a non-descriptive uh, IMDb user review, and you try to tell me what movie they're talking about. Oh, wonderful. Out of all the movies that we've done? Half of them are movies we've done. Half of them are... Uh, Random? Yep. Excellent. Yeah. Yep, all right. Yep. So just to give you an idea, this is a user review from the adult film Edward Penis Hands. This is a real IMDb IMDb uh, review. That's actually reviewed on IMDb. Edward Penis Hands, like I said, has a very close and perverted place to my heart for a while now. But unfortunately, and I, I say this with a sad heart, the movie failed me. I'm not even close to being an avid porn watcher. Hell, I wouldn't even call myself a fan of porn. But I am a fan of the different and bizarre, hence my love for Edward's penis hands. So myself having lots of anticipation to see this film may have ruined this flick for me. I forgot, idiotically, that most porn skimp on the story funny and just throw in sex wherever they possibly can. I hope for more of a spoof with more memorable scenes being acted out in a sexy well, what do you know? sort of way. And they did act out a few scenes, which was nice, like the snow scene in the original. It was just too porny for my taste. Hell, after he uses his penis hands for the fourth time, you're still surprised and intrigued. So the movie, only a little over an hour, seemed to get a little repetitive. Another thing, the chicks in this movie, not so appealing, unless you're a fan of those loose pink tacos. Oh my god, please tell me that that was not... On IMDb. It is on IMDb. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I'm dying here. So the ones I read uh, will not be Edward Penis Hands. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh. I can only handle so much Edward Penis Hands. All right. Some of these might be a little easy. Okay. So this one is from Mega Mega Mike on IMDb.com. This movie is dark and disturbing. However, it is equally smart and stylistic. I found it hard to watch at points, but I couldn't turn my eyes away. As for being important, don't worry, you'll be hearing about this movie. When A Clockwork Orange came out, it was met with mixed reviews, deemed too dark and violent, and is now considered a classic. Nope. These two movies share quite a bit in common. Both were based on great books. If you hadn't read either, get to it. Politicians will use this movie as a demonstration of careless and consequenceless violence in movies as a perfect example of what today's youth are being influenced by. This is one we've done. Yeah, that's why I said Dark City. Okay. Um, I wouldn't have got it if it makes any difference. Wow, that's tough. There's not. There's very little to go on there. Yeah. Politics akin to A Clockwork Orange. I don't even... I have no clue. Uh, I'm at a loss. Okay, what? Come on, no idea spill. Either. That was Fight Club. Oh, Fight Club? Really? That was 
There wasn't even an inkling in there. St- okay. All right. Maybe they're okay. based on based on a book. On a thing, book, but, but a there are a lot of the are... movies we've done have been based on books. I mean, Blade that Runner. Little, that one was um, a little cruel. Okay. Yeah. Take and, two. And I would say okay. Fight Club's not on the level of a Clockwork Orange. That's just my personal opinion. That would be my opinion, too. Yeah. This is not one that we've done. It is okay. a Christmas movie, and okay. it's kind of a modern classic Christmas movie. Okay. I was forced to watch this with the family when it came out. The main actor is not funny. Anybody who thinks he Elf. is has been neutered. No, but I agree with that. Anyone who thinks he is has been neutered just like him. The lead actors, acting and comedy, both represent the repressed masculinity. Rep- the Santa Claus. Yes, it is. Did you like the Santa Claus? I actually... You know what? I found Elf and the Santa Claus amusing. I like the Santa Claus a lot. I Elf think most holiday movies less, suck. But the Santa Claus... You don't like yeah. either one? I mean, I'm... Holiday like movies, I don't movies. like. Yeah, I think they... I'm, I'm on board with that, too. No. Returns, the holiday classic. Oh, good <laughs> Son of a... It's not a... Okay, anyway. Bill Goldberg. All right. So is that one point for me? Yes. How many guesses do we get? Ooh. Um, well, I... Uh, a couple. How about two. just two All guesses for each one? Two guesses for each one. That would be fair. The title. Where do I start? This film is unoriginal. It's just based around an idea. Uh, I got more. Because <laughs> that could be any number of films. <laughs> no, I saw, I saw a good line I wanted to read. Yeah. The lead actor's girlfriend in this movie doesn't suspect he is an enigma after she won sex, and he said, oh, like a sleepover. A 13-year-old-minded person the room? can reach high it's potentials in this business world. <laughs> it's gotta be the room. A fake fortune teller can make your wishes come true. Five, Elizabeth Perkins' character is a slut of, of the oh, toy business. Wait. Six, no records of cop, cops going after Josh after he disappears and ends up on milk cartons. Seven, Josh forgot who he was over the course of a week. Eight, someone actually... Um, uh, what if a 13-year-old boy turned into a 30-year-old man and like... Oh, big! It just gets old. It's big! Yeah, I like big. Big is good. The stuff. <laughs> I had one. I had, a, I had a stuff on there. I win. <laughs> uh, okay, this is one that we've done. Having not seen any of Russell's other work, it's impossible for me to say that this is typical of him. Death proof? However... <laughs> What I will say is that the imagery he uses in the film really does spark a lot of interest. For example, the hypocrisy of organized religion and icon worship. I give it 7 out of 10. Too flawed to be a classic, but definitely a solid piece of work overall. You may never look at another body pillow without pork and beans and Anne Margaret bringing immediately to mind ever again. Anne Margaret and pork and beans. Oh, damn. Oh, son of a... A certain dream sequence? Yes. Oh, jeez. Um, oh! Oh, Tommy. No. I'm thinking... Yeah, Tommy. Wasn't it? Yeah, that's what it is. It was Tommy. Yeah, I don't feel like I'm going to get any of these, so there you go. Can I just concede? <laughs> yeah, you can. Oh. Well, I was fun, worried though. about making these too easy. Apparently, that wasn't a problem. Well, Anne Margaret plus dream sequence plus pork and beans. I mean, come on! This Isn't is the whole movie a dream sequence? Pretty well. The whole movie. Was I just thought the ludicrous. experience of watching the movie was a yeah, dream a little bit. Yeah, I, no kidding. It was it, weird it, at High V. They played a section of like the that album slash soundtrack, whatever you want to call it, and it's not one of the more well known ones. The see me. Yeah. I was just like, Feel what the hell? I was like, hold on a second. Oh, I'm just having my full mental collapse right now. Touch me. <laughs> we can right, come back to cool. that. All right, cool. So we did The Guest. This is from 2014, directed by Adam Wingard. So uh, Adam Wingard directed uh, Your Next and a segment of VHS. Uh, and he did a segment from the ABCs of Death and... He's kind of making a name for himself in the horror genre, and he just did uh, the Blair Witch reboot. So we watched. But the world really needs another reboot. Oh my god! So we watched this movie called The Guest, and it's another one of those movies that is technically set in modern day, but the soundtrack is 
very intense straight out of 1986. And it's I guess I found out it's the same organ that they used in the actual Halloween three season of the witch movie. Which I watched this Halloween for the first time. Really? And uh, it was really enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, it's for all intents and purposes, Halloween 3 now is a really bad movie. I mean, the, the plot kind of doesn't make any sense. They're trying to take on too much. And I mean, it's just a cheesy, bad 80s movie. But there's a lot of heart and there's great music and um, acting that is just so intensely bad. There's a scene where... Oh, it's not Tom Skerritt. You remember who the lead actor in... Are we talking about Halloween? Halloween 3, oh, yeah. Okay, he's yeah, like, yeah, he's yeah. tied to a chair, and he can see a security camera like 50 <clears throat> feet away that's staring at him. And he grabs a mask from behind his back, and he throws the mask, and it lands right on the security camera the first time. And that's not a smart way to like pull off a scene like that, but no. it's, it's fun. It's laughably yeah. bad. But uh, the guest, I thought, kind of followed in the same... Uh, I don't know. That's a little yeah. bit of a stretch. Because Halloween 3 is like the whole plot is that the the masks have these evil powers. Right. And then yeah. the kids are going to put on the masks and become like these evil creatures. Right. Which I... Like the part that, uh, that got to me, like if you're doing Halloween, it's almost like... Um, the main antagonist, David, I'm using quotations right, here because we don't right. really know who he is. It's like part Michael Myers, part evil Captain America slash Universal Soldier. Part Jason Bourne part on Jason a bad Bourne, day. Part, uh, part John Ryder from uh, The Hitcher. Oh, yeah. A little I mean, bit of you name it, there are a little bit of all of these movies kind of thrown in. It was like... He couldn't decide what kind of movie he wanted to make. You yeah, know? and that's that's what he said, too, in an interview. He said he wanted to see how many genres he could throw in and have it still work. And the, the reason I mention Halloween 3 is because as, you, as the ending starts to unfold, it's like, well, the masks are haunted. Well, actually, no, the toy maker is this crazy Irishman who wants to blow up children's brains at midnight when they're wearing this mask watching TV. Well, no, actually, their brains are going to turn into bugs and snakes that are going to come crawling out. So they're, like, trying to have too many whatever. So with the guest, it's this totally, uh, like, well-paced plot, and then they uh, introduce this, like, side plot with this government. And out of nowhere. Them, I mean, it was out all of unnecessary. nowhere. None of it mattered. None of it mattered. Like, and I, I feel like that's how they were they trying could've... to have fun with it. They could have left out the government guys right up until the very end. Have them show up out of nowhere with no pretext, nothing. And it would have made more sense than what what happened in this film. Yeah. I mean, totally would have made more sense. They're looking for this guy. This guy's creepy. And he would, okay, he could have helped the entire family. He obviously got, you know, spoilers. <sighs> okay, taught the kid how to defend himself. Basically got the girl away from a destructive boyfriend. Helped dad get his job back. Brought some peace of mind to mom. Right? I mean, all of that cheesy stuff that, you know, that strangers do for you when they come to spend at your house, even though you don't know who they are, right? Mm -hmm. Here it is. They could have done all of that up to that point. Kept us on the hook. Right up until the time when – and Ben and I talked about this while we were watching it. The black SUVs pull up, right? It's like, when oh, the black SUVs pull up, you know shit's going to go down. They could have left out all of the other government parts right up until the black SUVs pulled up and it would have made more sense. And then he could have flipped mm -hmm. and done the whole, okay, I'm going to kill mom, try and kill the kids, run dad over, whatever bit. Then we could have known more about this character because he then – he reveals himself as somebody who at first is redeeming. Mm -hmm. But then obviously he's bro broken beyond all repair because he's stayed with this family for several days and now he's killing them. Well, that you know? goes back to the, the talk that Major Carver had with Anna. David is literally programmed – to if the the program this experiment is in danger of being revealed he's you know programmed to tie up loose ends so it's one of those things where they try to create you know some kind of dichotomy in the character but it doesn't necessarily work all the way because he shows up and you know there's something wrong with him right off the gate because of yeah. like some musical cues his well, facial expression like completely <laughs> blank like well, yeah well when he looks off into space and you get like the heavy organ in the background or whatever it is you know this guy's not right yeah there's you like don't nothing know but red flags you know first. know why he's not right but that's okay because mm -hmm. that works at that point in time. 
all of the scenes where he's helping the family then are all the typical, you know, oh, I'm going to help little Johnny beat up the bully sort of thing. Fine. Do it that way. But again, don't then introduce this whole other aspect of the film, which which really made it clunky. Mm-hmm. It made it too unwieldy almost, you know? Yeah. I mean, it really threw a wrench in the plot. Yeah, it they... kind of – it was kind of jarring to go from – Okay, now this is turning almost into uh, a thriller type movie when at first it had been kind of a slow paced horror movie at about the 35 minute mark. That's when it changes and then it escalates into more of a okay, in the end we get a kind of a standard mini slasher, if you want to call it that, with the, the time frame where, you know, they're in this high school and they have this Halloween maze and. Oh my God. Yeah. Stu loves I don't the even maze. want to go I don't even get into that I mean I, I love Hollywood I love what they do with high schools and Hollywood I love the fact that they think that anybody has the type of time to put together such an elaborately stupid dance of any sort and yeah. yet oh my god it, it, it trying to get kids to turn in a 15 minute homework assignment is like trying to well, never mind. I won't even. If go they there. had enough kids in detention, well, I think that's another. No, thing. so like I, the small town, and everything that comes with a small town, I think plays a role in in as in a character in the movie. I think when he there's a scene where he gets out of the shower and it's this like really over uh, melodramatic uh, '80s synthesizer song, and it's like the start to a, a porn. And Truly, I think that's the that's moment. David getting out of the shower too. By the way, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah you yeah. know he's he's all cut up and be like, hey, I think I better get dressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the moment <laughs> where you realize, oh, so this is a parody of itself. But You're is not it really sure? Huh? Is it true? Kind of yeah, parody I mean, of itself? I, I think it is. I mean, it's, I think I, that it's this not was billed meant, as one, but no, no. I think this was meant to be like uh, a true thriller. That that started out as a not a bad movie. I mean, I'll be honest. I I like. I was intrigued by the story. I mean, it, it's a you know you have a veteran coming home, coming to a family who's who he was friends with the the man who was killed. I get that that that's great. It sets up a really good premise, particularly in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Where it loses me is that kind of twist of that. The uh, the the music, first of all, is so jarringly out of place, you know. I mean, it really is very out of mm-hmm. place, and yet it, it it adds a feel to it. Granted, it's not a horrible feel, but it's out of place for the time. Number one, and number two, literally forty minutes into the film, you find out that this guy really is not who we think he is. And then things go completely haywire after that. And and again, it has when the this young lady, the the girl, uh, what was her name? I don't even Anna. remember. Anna. Okay, when Anna figures out that he might not be who he says he is, and that something hinky might be up with it, what twenty year old has the the wherewithal to pick up a phone and call the government to find out something? I'm sorry. She had cornrows in on one half of her head. There's no way she's even going to and unless, you know, we missed a whole scene where she was doing trigonometry and reading Shakespeare or something. I don't think she's bright enough to come up with that. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I agree. I think that there's definitely scenes that are like straight uh I would say homage, but they're really almost just like ripped directly out of a 80s horror movie. And I think that some of the, especially the bar scene, oh, the geez. sound effects in this movie, there's this. Uh, the there's Foley a artist where, is something to oh, be yeah. commended in this one. I mean, wow. Yeah. When he whips his head around yeah. and you get that, whew, I think that's kind of a little cue that, like, we're not telling you that this movie is based in reality. And I think also to have a soundtrack that's from the 80s, but to take place in modern time, it's like this whole, what universe are we even in? I mean, that's kind of what drive did and that's kind of what it follows did too. okay i i want to i want to think that that was done on purpose i want to think that somebody put this all together with those exact intentions i think that it was not i think that this was just a a series of horrific mistakes maybe that parody came to, was not a good word i would say more but you know like, what i'm saying though yeah, yeah, i, I know mean what you're saying i don't know that it was done on purpose i think somebody thought oh this would sound cool this would look cool this would be cool and 
and then they started making this film that literally is a little bit of the pacifier and the terminator jason Bourne. it's it's action it's thriller it's horror it's you know all of these things it's like structured as a horror movie but it plays out as an action movie and the whole scene uh the kicker for me was the ridiculous uh shootout at the house Oh my god! That they they were. I feel like they made sure that they captured every shot and every angle that they've ever played in like any high budget action movie. I where you're like, it, oh, let's let's show the shell sitting the ground in slow motion. It was like taking a scene out of Commando. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I don't think that they took that seriously. I hope that they didn't. I, hope I appreciated they did too. the energy. I I really didn't. I was I was entertained, but by the end, I thought to myself, well. They actually could have picked any one of these these slices, these genre slices, and had a whole an entire cake instead of just a piece of each. It's like, I okay, know. I'm going to put carrot cake next to you know red velvet, and then you know I'm going to throw some pecan pie and pumpkin pie on top of it. And, and the lame ass excuse for him for the reason why he has to wrap up it was a government experiment. You know, he has to tie up all the loose ends. There was no reason for him to kill the parents. There was no reason oh, for yeah, him was, to kill anybody. It was a totally muddy, convoluted plot. It was plot. so muddy at the end there. There was no reason for it. He could have he could have walked out of the house leaving mom there. No she knew nothing. She posed no threat. They they already knew he was there even if she had picked up the phone and called the police. What more could they have done? I mean, literally, there was no reason other than this, again, that muddy concept mm-hmm. that he was having to follow his programming. And this Manchurian Candidate sort of stuff, is it works in some some movies. It didn't work in this. It mm-hmm. didn't work at all. Well, they, it, they didn't really uh, differentiate between when... Because there are times when he definitely is showing... A human side when his reactions and responses nobody's around except for us watching him right. by himself on screen so like when he hits uh the dad's car and the dad is still alive and he kind of like his eyes yeah, yeah yeah so it's like obviously you're a little bummed that you have to kill him now so then at what point does this flip get switched that you like throw grenades into uh but I guess that's yeah. like the malfunction. I guess that's why he's but such see, a threat is because okay, he's but, so... Uh, but that still doesn't make any sense because even if he was a flawed weapon, even if he was a completely psycho-broken Jason Bourne-type weapon, there's still something in him that says, this is going to cause me more problems than save me time. Well, here's here's one thing that I thought would negate the entire movie. If he's programmed to tie up loose ends and, you know, this brother Caleb was in the program too and died while in the program, then why did he go to Caleb's family when they no would sense. be a tie-in to that? Which I kind of like, I think maybe they did that on purpose just because they were kind of going for the, you know, nonsensical, convoluted 80s thriller slasher slash action plot, but... If, like, you're going to go in that direction, maybe be, like, they could have probably gone even more over the top with some things if they wanted. To me, it just felt like have. they 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 should have gone, like, pick your direction and then mm-hmm. just run. Just, yeah. like, sprint in that direction. Don't just kind of go, oh, we're going to take a step back and now we're going to have a big shootout. And then we're going to take yeah. a step back and it's a slasher film now. That's an interesting yeah. point, too. It's like they didn't know how they wanted the audience to feel when the movie was over. You know, like, if they are going to do a true over-the-top like straight up grindhouse seventies thing or whatever, then you need to own up to it, carry it throughout, so that when the movie's over, everybody knows that what you were trying to do with it. Because I thought to myself, you know, Stu was talking about possible changes with the the government guys showing up. Well, I mean, you could have done something where the movie starts with him just escaping this place, and there are burned bodies. You're like, what the hell's going on right now? And then the second shot is him running on that road. You're like, okay, what's going on right now? There are like so many different things they could have done, even little things to make it a little to make it a little more cohesive and to, to make like it, make it you know meet, meet the tone, whatever tone. Like if they had picked one to right. really match. Yeah, and so is he? And that, that, that's where it is right there. They failed to pick one tone to stick with. And you can mix and mash you know, things together. You can mix comedy with horror and make it work. You can mix genre, you know, sci-fi and 
and and and thrillers and, and and horror to make it work and whatnot. But to be honest with you, if it's muddied from the very beginning, where you're just not sure if you're watching a psychological thriller, are you watching a governmental spy movie? Are you watching a straight up flat out slasher film? What are you watching? You know, if you're not sure what it is from the very beginning. And and while that can be good if you're not sure, if it plays out that it ends up being one thing, this film has no identity, though, because it, it never settles on one thing. It, it takes all of these different genres and mushes them into a horrible chase at the end through a maze in a gymnasium. <laughs> so uh, Roger Ebert's kind of a nut, right? I mean, he's always been a nut. Some of the movies that he likes, some of the movies that he doesn't, it's like, what? I know. That's not right. consistent. Roger Ebert... So did he he watched the guest? Yes. Before he died? Yeah. Well, this was two and a half years ago. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. 2014. Okay, fair enough. So at com, he says, The guest announces its intentions and style in the short opening sequence. There's a close-up of a guy shot from behind running down an empty road through a desert. He's wearing heavy military-style boots. We don't see his face suddenly with a blast of terrifying music. The title screen comes at huge purple letters on a black... Background. The next shot, accompanied by another alarming blare of scary music, shows a horrifying-looking scarecrow lording it over the desert landscape. In three shots, director Adam Wingard announces the guest, what it will be about, tells us about, tells us what the film is. The opening scene locates us easily and confidently in space, time, mood, and genre. The guest delivers on that initial promise. What? <laughs> okay, okay. You, have to, you have to think that, okay, first of all, how this much was toward, were you reading into this, Mr. Roger Ebert? Toward the end of his career, he was very ill. <laughs> All right? He was very That's ill. That's the propofol. I really topic. liked those space leprechauns that they introduced in I the think psychedelic. Would, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm starting to think maybe his medication had kicked in at that point, and yeah. he was not watching the same film I was watching. Maybe he had a ghostwriter. I'm... That could very well be it at that point because I don't see what he was seeing. I see disjointedness. I don't see anything cohesive there that really announces what sort of film this was going to be. I agree. I agree fully that it initially announced its intentions. You know, with you know the blaring music and you know running through the desert and the close up of the the scarecrow and you know uh, David's really like glacial looks, but then it kind of goes in different directions. I almost feel like they could have done away with some of the, uh, the buddy stuff, like the pacifier stuff that, right. Um, mm-hmm. Steve was mentioning and made it more disturbing. Like what if they had him just, you know, he's not supposed to open up about, you know, the, the special ops thing, but what if he just had a certain really terrible story from his time in service that like all of a sudden he's just like triggered and he's talking about it out like with the family around him. Like, you know, the one scene that I thought was, was good. He's talking about, um, he's talking to Luke about not being bullied. And he says, Oh, so the boys beat you up and take your knife, but you burn their houses down with their families inside. Would have like, been they needed perfect, more of that. Yeah, they would have yeah, been yeah. a perfect opportunity for them to expand on that and make him into that true psychopath, which we see him to be towards the end. You know, yeah, I, I hated the whole, the whole KGB subplot. I think I'm trying to like, uh, subconsciously <laughs> convince myself, like they did it on purpose. They're trying to annoy me. They're trying to make me not like this. I know they are. I know they are. I don't think it was on purpose. I yeah, think it was genuinely know. just a poor plot device that that has worked in other films because they stayed consistent with it, with the film and the genre. Whereas in this one, I'm sorry, there's just very little consistency. I mean, it was literally all over the place as far because you don't know whether to like this guy, you don't know whether this guy's genuine, you don't know whether this girl's going to hook up with him, you don't. I, I just, you know, and the whole, uh, when she, you know, as he walks out of the steamy bathroom, like you said earlier, it, it that's straight out of an 80s teen flick, you know, mm-hmm. where, oh my God, the young girl sees a beautiful boy or whatever, and uh, and this guy is a good looking guy. I mean, he's definitely Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling-esque sort of looking mm-hmm. guy, you know, he's a good looking guy. But again, it's one of those things where... There's it doesn't go anywhere. You yeah. get a tease and then it doesn't go anywhere. It now if they had stuck with one of those and ran with it, great. But again. Yeah, it seems like they uh 
are kind of like playing on these stereotypes that we've seen so much. And then they take it a little bit further and may exaggerate a little bit, but then that's it, you know? I mean, they kind of explore the whole idea of like an anti-hero and this... Which would have been great. Him, yeah. yeah, and the guy teaches him self-defense, but not really. He tells, you know, he gives him a knife and... Uh, you know, then basically he, says, burn their influence. house down. Yeah, he's a terrible influence. So at what point does... I mean, well, I yeah. Loved, I loved, well, talking about positive, the positives, though, I loved uh, Spencer Peterson, the dad character. He was just hilarious the whole time. And you could tell he was really having fun with the role. And he has this ridiculous well, every time sweater. he walks in. Yeah. Every time he walks in, he's like, oh, my God, everything's just falling apart. I'm going to have a drink. So my boss is dead and his girlfriend's dead, but hey, at least I got a promotion. I'm going to have a drink. Hey, you want a drink? I'm going to have a drink. Yeah, he's so I mean, those are erotic all the time. And I like that they didn't, uh, they just left that alone. They just left that up to the to the viewer. Like, Absolutely. obviously, it's not really up for question whether he killed the guy. In and right there, <laughs> the funniest freaking part, I felt, was when the, the bad guy runs head on into dad's car. Dad's there and is like, oh, hey, David. It's almost like. Yeah, it's just another day in my life. <laughs> my this, life and now this happened, you know? So I didn't like that car anyway. I thanks, didn't like David. that car I, anyway. I, I was surprised that uh, uh, Dad, you know, Spencer was just like, he's all woozy in his, his car. So he's just like, hey, David, you want a drink? I know. <laughs> that would have been right. He just pulls out. You want like, a drink? And then, yeah. <laughs> he just pulls out a couple of beers. I've been drinking these on the way home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I kind of wondered why he decided to crash head into his car. What was he could have just driven other by than shot. other than a loose end, which which again plays into that muddy governmental programming sort but of it, bullshit. He also could have just slowed down and shot him. But oh. then I thought, well, maybe he knew that if he slowed down and shot him and then drove off, that Jamaican Lou Gossett Jr. would just get out of his busted <laughs> car. And get into the dad's car, which was flawless. So I love that. Jamaica I think he Lugas decided, like, I, think I had that, to demolish I, this uh, car so that this guy can't I know, take but the car. Again, I think you're putting too much into it. I think that they thought, I think that they thought, oh, wouldn't that be awesome for me if he just ran full right head on? Which no assassin in their right mind would ever do because it puts yourself in danger. Yeah. Regardless of what kind of shape you're in. And at this point, the guy's already been shot twice. He's got to be bleeding. Yeah. You and know? I think the fact that he gets hurt so much and he just laughs it off, I think that just adds to oh, the Oh, and, and then, it's spoiler, very the very it's end. Very He's stabbed in the fucking heart. Right. Well, plus two, it seems like no kind of drug affects him. Like, I think yeah. he's always, I don't know if it's like a, a scientific chemical makeup thing, but it, there are parts in the movie where he's just drinking. It's just like, oh, yeah, I, I drank all of this, but I'm still sitting here completely sober. But he I says no to the hallucinogens. I like that he was uh, having sex, and uh, the girl's on top. She makes a reference to you, don't seem like you're enjoying this. And then he flips her over and takes control back, and then she's like, oh, yep, you are. You're having fun with this. So... It's like this it control is, thing. It is a control thing with him, and definitely. I'm assu- and I think that not only is he around the same age as their actual son, but I think that David was the thread that held this family together. And now that David is gone, and now that David is dead, Caleb's the family, dead. Caleb, Caleb, yeah, yeah Caleb. Caleb, yeah, David's uh, a bad guy. The family man. is kind of like completely disjointed. So I think that, uh, and and I, the reason I'm giving this so much thought is because I've seen enough of this guy's movies that. You watch something like this with as campy as it is and as cheesy as it is, I think that I, – I mean I assume that at least some of that was a, was an intentional choice. But I do agree that if that's the case, then you need to like uh, – Probably sure should have rethought that. Yeah. See, I thought I, yeah. the, tur- the, the turn that they were leaning heavily toward, but I thought it may be a red herring, was that it was going to end up that David was actually Caleb and that he got – he actually had had the surgery he was talking right, about. Exactly, it looked like the right. guy in the photo. But I thought that might be a little uh, – that's just kind of like – Because they, they, they tried to like – that's the thing. They had all this stuff going on and they tried to have David as an enigma of sorts. But then they explain his story. Then it's would, like, oh, you lost it. Uh, you yeah. know what? You know something? That would have made – Ten times more sense. Would have made sense. That's yeah. for sure. For him they to come they, back to if the they family. Have showed that picture of them together. They could have gotten away with it. Especially the part when he, the, like, the one thing when I was first watching it, 
um, especially when they're walking into the party. This is is uh, David and Anna, and he said, oh, I didn't know you had a boyfriend, but then I thought, too, well, um, it could also just be that David was so close to Caleb that they talked about everything, right. so who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love, um, so the cinematography, this is a great... <laughs> This movie's aside from the lighting that I was like sexually aroused over. Um, the idea, the whole idea of like visual storytelling. So there's a big uh, blowout scene where Anna tries to expose David for this being this fraud, and she goes to a room and starts crying, and then David walks in, closes the door, but he doesn't just close the door. As soon as he starts to close the door, the camera pans down and zooms in to show his hand closing the door. And just that stylistic choice to like zoom in on his hand closing the door is so much more well. There's a note. And there's a note of something's coming. There's a note of finality. Yes, you know. There's a note of uh, it's 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 an ominous gesture at that point. It's not a. It's no longer just a oh I want to close the door because we're going to be private now. No, now I'm going to close the door because there's a possibility that I'm going to gut you like a fish now. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of vibe that's put off at that point. And I get completely why he would choose to focus in on that. But having said that, it never follows through. I mean, the the scene is set. The mood is set. The ominous tone is set. And yet he comes in and it's just all buddy buddy with her again and and it's um i would have almost expected them to have started making out if she mm-hmm. wasn't so freaked out by the possibility that this guy might not be who he says he was you know yeah he goes into like uh sociopath mode right with a straight face Truly. and then at the very end is when he kind of threatens her a little bit when he's like right but it doesn't go far enough yeah so is he like this loose cannon who can't control his rage because in that scene he like controlled it like it was very calculated pinpoint and then at at that point if he's supposed to that's the thing to keep going back to if he's neurologically programmed to tie up loose ends and there was a conversation about him being involved with all this why did he not have like a knife or gun just go you're dead anna yep and then he could have made his way through the entire house and just killed everybody. See, that would have been more shocking away. too. Away, walked away from the house. No one would have known any different. And really, I mean, why was he even at? The, yeah, we keep coming back to that. I imagine that the directors love to sit back and watch people think it to death. You know, like oh, the sure. whole the whole Inception ending. And, right, um, right, right. But I love the beginning too because it's like it's very quick. It, it could just be a guy running. Or it could be Caleb. It could be David. Are they overseas or is he back? Is he chasing something? Is he running from something? And so all these people have their theories on, you know, <laughs> symbolically what this represents. And I know that there's an you know, there's an actual answer that the director has of why he chose to put this in. But what's interesting to me too is that he ran all that distance and he didn't appear even the least bit sweaty mm-hmm. or tired or anything when he showed up at the doorstep. So I, I just, it was like he had just stepped out of a cab, you know, yeah. and knocked on the door. And, you know, uh, I am a little thirsty. I ran all the way here from the bus stop. And then mom gives him a little tiny juice glass full of water. Yes, I'll which... take that thimble full of water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, thank you. My God, a Roger Ebert loved this movie. He said the second half of this film careens headlong into glorious paranoia and conspiracy theories reminiscent of 1970s political thrillers involving Manchurian gleaming... candidates. Exactly. Sort of things, yeah. Involving gleaming boardrooms populated with stone faced. There was one boardroom. There was one boardroom. One boardroom for about boardroom. five seconds. Now, I, I really think that Roger was either off his meds at that point or was seriously on or his meds. Or was way on the meds. Yeah, yeah, way on the meds at that point and didn't actually see the same film that I saw. It'd be interesting to listen to some commentary because five years ago, a music score that mixed with the time period that this movie takes place in would be so incredibly rare and so incredibly unique that you would know that that was a suggestion but now like we're talking about it's in everything i mean as as far as horror goes it was oh yeah i can think of nine or ten off the top of my head that are modern day but also uses synthesizers oh yeah it's not always done in such cheese and you know why it you know why it's coming back though it's because there are guys my age who are finally getting to make films 
You know, they're finally getting their films put out there the way that they want them to be put out there. And so they're going back to what they were comfortable with when they were kids, Mm -hmm. what they knew when they were kids, what they enjoyed when they were kids. And now we're starting to see this resurgence of... And I love bad synthesizer music. I absolutely love it. I listen to it, and and, and it takes me back to some really great memories. Mm-hmm. But if if it's going to be a distraction rather than a an essential part of the film, then what's the point? That's a really good point too, because mm-hmm. I thought that the guest, if you just look at each track individually, it's like, oh, I like listening to this, but there weren't any really distinct themes that were repeated no. throughout the film, because usually with, with music, that's the way it works. Like a cue can be, um, okay, this character is entering, or this is kind of the the frame of mind that the character is in. But this one is just like, no, it's something different every single time, it essentially. It really, truly was. Yeah, that, I, I totally agree with that. I like that her, uh, Anna, everything that she wore was... 1982 or older including her hair especially at the end with the lighting it's like okay i get that i can appreciate that but like give me more like truly give give me more 80s or like just take her out because exactly i'm a sucker for the music and the cinematography really in any horror and i crapped myself when i saw it follows the first time i was like ben you gotta come over and see this oh my god i'll make homemade frozen pizza from scratch <laughs> and he came over and it was over and i was like kind of like let down like i saw all these things that i was just clouded by the first time right um well going back to the soundtrack too if you know this this movie acts as uh, you know some kind of homage then if you think about in the 80s like Alan Howarth and John Carpenter and their scores, you know, there was like a very definable theme. Like the, the fog comes to mind for me because I've listened to that soundtrack many times. Like if you listen to it as one piece, there are probably no more than four or five themes at most throughout the entirety of the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So it works really well in that regard. But that's the problem too, I think, with this film. There was so much going on that it was probably difficult to develop you know, individual themes and branch out and have those themes recurring because the mood changed so many times. I, d- I don't think that they could have done a theme. I, I mean, one of the reasons why those horror movies work so well is because when our bad guy was on the th- on the scene, the music would shift. The music would shift to cue the audience. Uh-oh, oh shit, mm-hmm. things are going down. You know, uh, the the kill, 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 die, 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 die. die. Yeah. You yeah. know, that would, you know, that sort of stuff would show up or whatever it was. And, and so the music would shift and you would know in this particular film that it, it, it never developed it past just the campy, you know, general creepy music. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I also wrote down bulletproof bed frame. Oh, yeah, because he's under the bed and it's getting shot. He's under shot. the bed and he's shooting an assault rifle and he, like, I know. Out. What the heck was that all about? I want to know in what 80s movie so, some production designer was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's turn a refrigerator over. He'll use the door to block the bullets. People won't know any different. And for, like, 20 years after that, we all thought that refrigerators were bulletproof because they there, did it in the 80s. Well, no, there are some that are. Depending upon what gun is being used, well, yeah, it's like a twenty-two or something. But uh, even I a forty-five say... caliber pistol at a certain distance is not going to go through a fridge door necessarily because it's it's got layers and it's got the ceramic and everything else that's in there. But again, you're an automatic weapon like the M16s that they were, or the AR-15s or whatever the hell they were using, or that gigantic what was that at the that the one guy was using? He put the gun on the stand. Yeah, oh, I mean right. he had like. He, he had a crew-mounted weapon. Yeah. I mean, seriously, something like that. There's no way. There's no way. And a bed frame? You're absolutely right. There's no metal. There's just cotton. Well, it's not even just that. If you looked at the bed, when he fell over the bed the first time, he reached into a wooden cabinet and pulled the gun bag out. And then all of a sudden, he could crawl... Under the bed, but the bed is set on a wooden cabinet. Yeah, you got to imagine if you could crawl under a bed. Was he under it or was he just like on the side of it? Well, no, he no. popped, he popped out. He was, yeah, oh, he yeah, yeah, out from underneath. Yeah. So you think it would have to be at least 18 inches to pop would, out like yeah, that. I, I, but with there, the gun and everything else? Yeah. yeah. 
I, th- uh, I think one of the reasons when I was younger that I loved Bruckheimer movies so much, it's not because anything made sense, but they looked so cool doing it. And we never, we didn't know the better, you know, the, the classic, like jumping through a doorway in slow motion as the guns are firing. Like you can't slow that down and look at the logistics of that. No, you just can't. Absolutely not. So like, how's somebody going to like slide out? Like they're on a creeper, like a mechanic right. creeper sliding out from the bed. So, yeah, once again, it's it, it would it should have been uh, more fleshed out or, or made more made more believable, clear. if you will. But. And I mean, not even believable because you can have the whole suspension of disbelief. But yeah, like I get that the character had two different sides, but did it, could he control him? Could he not control him? Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I think the directors just like put that intro in there, and they're like, "Yeah, let's let's have the most ambiguous opening ever, and not answer any questions." Well, I mean, even when he killed the gun dealer and his friend, he didn't necessarily need to because that you wasn't mean Ethan Embry. Yeah, yeah. So it's like other... really confusing how, how he determines when he's going to kill someone and when he's not going to kill someone yeah. because they don't really ever define. His morals, not that they could, because he's supposed to be a little bit of an enigma. So you kind of have to go either way. You explain uh, a little bit, and it's not some cop-out. He's neurologically programmed to do this, or he's a complete enigma, and you're like, you know nothing about him, and you're just kind of guessing the whole time, and you fill in through other characters what he's like. Like, I don't know if they wanted to have, like Stu said, the top-secret government agency come in at the end and you're like oh wow so that's why you know at the the beginning like with what i was talking about like he escaped from this place with bodies burning and like i thought it would be interesting to show what he did with um mr uh peterson's uh supervisor and girlfriend like that was a scene that would probably be interesting like the way that played out like some of the stuff i think that was interesting happened off of camera it really could yeah I, and oh. I think you have to show everything, but it's just like it was kind of weird how they picked what's going to be enigmatic, what's going to be mysterious, and then what are we going to specifically define? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of the uh, choice. I got spittle on the microphone. Oh, okay. Are you drooling on the guess, microphone again? Uh, uh, the, the mom who the the movie opens and it shows her saying goodbye to the kids, and then she's just got a look on her face like she's either just finished crying or she's about to cry. So she's obviously extremely uh, emotionally still mourning the loss of her son, so you figure it's got to be pretty soon after this accident. But at a, at a certain point, and again, I'm way overthinking this, but we need to know some more details in order to give a better idea of how I feel about the story you know what i mean like is this a week after he's died is this six months after he's died Uh, and we don't we still don't really even know what his motivation could be for being there again what what was the purpose of him going to this family's house to begin with? yeah it's not satisfying to say he's a he's a loose cannon he's a psycho yeah well uh yeah caleb caleb told david hey you better go say to my family that i love them it's like that's that's what this movie is based on. Yeah, this movie it, it needed a sh- more of a shocking revelation about their son, like towards the end, that might have explained why he was there. That Major been Carver fairly... rips his face off, and yeah, it's really Caleb. It's really Tom Cruise from MI Two. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> no, he, even better. It was oh, what's his name from uh, Mission Impossible? Um, Rams. Uh, no, <laughs> Lou Gossett Jr. No, no, um, no, no. Uh, it's oh, I can't bring up Joe Pesci. No, shit. Never mind. It's gone. The moment is gone. You'll come back there, John Boyd. So- <laughs> <laughs> Never saw it coming. So I love the classroom fight. I thought that was so. <laughs> His reaction. I was... expected the knife to come into play. Then I yeah, really right? did. I expected the butterfly knife to come out in a very awkward. Sort of, yeah. and then he drops it or something, and then gets expelled uh, from school, or they try and expel him from school for him trying to pull the knife on the kid. Yeah. But I thought the way it played out was way better, was the fact that, you know, he did grab what was in his surroundings and then con- continued to actually defend himself, which was great. Yeah, I think, I feel like that was maybe a telling sign of, like, uh, small-town consequences, where in a big city school, a fight would not lead to expulsion, but in a very safe environment where like nothing exciting ever happens in the maybe it, it, it if I'll, I'll tell you flat out 
As How do you have any authority in this, Stu? How do I have any it's authority like you, in this? It's like you know something It's almost about as though I work in a high school, huh? Uh, uh-huh. A fight like this, not expulsion worthy. A fight like this, definitely time out of school worthy. You know, maybe mm-hmm. five days. But even now, that would be... If the, they could prove that this kid had been harassing the other kid for forever and ever and ever and the kids finally snapped and took matters into his own hands three days wow maybe as long as the teachers don't hug him well yeah that doesn't go over very well at all especially not in high school no junior high is and i don't know i don't know if symbolically the yardstick was supposed to be oh well this is the way things used to be the yardstick was a tribute to halloween (laughs) four in which a teacher is murdered but first she picks up a yardstick now i wanted to mention the kid plays an interesting angle to where he fits into a very clear helpless uh misunderstood like i doesn't super fit nerd in. yeah yeah super nerd but they didn't really make him um, all that nerdy he's no. just good at math and then he's kind of there and he has friends online and that's it yeah and they didn't really define anyone well really and, and he's, he's more of a creeper about, than anything he, he's yeah. able to do the research about the the dude so he's not an idiot however he tells david the entire conversation that he had with his sister i know throwing her completely under the bus at that point thanks luke Luke you jerk that what but i i mean i i like that i like like uh seeing things that i didn't expect to happen that's why i like horror movies but (sighs) it just didn't make sense but again it didn't make sense it was uh, it's it was kind of like okay he's either going to be 100 percent david's best buddy from here on out and do Mm. whatever david says kind of a Dracula Renfield sort of thing, or he's going to stand up for his sister and pay attention to his sister, who, at this point, now I get it, David's kind of filling this void where Caleb was, you know, and and dad is obviously useless. So I just, I, it's, it's my thought at this point that, again, his character even was so wishy-washy. The almost the almost the one character that was true to every single trope and every single stereotype you could have come down to was the the Anna character. She was without with the exception of her being a little smarter than what she probably should have been. She was the only one who I thought fit throughout the entire film, you know. But uh, even then, I don't know. Dad still. They really didn't give a whole lot for they mom didn't. to do. Really, no, they didn't. Mom just cried and was kind of there. I yeah. like this whole female empowerment wave that's kind of uh, sweeping through the horror genre, whereas in the 90s and 80s, they would like run barefoot through the woods screaming and then eventually get murdered. And now, like, hush and don't breathe and this and it follows. It's um, I don't know if it's like a PC thing or if they're trying to uh, be more appealing to female potential horror fans or what but no i i just think that the that the helpless female uh, stereotype if you will is gone right out the window i mean it's been out the window since alien in my opinion yeah you know i mean it just took the rest Weaver, of the industry Weaver. to catch up yeah, yeah i it's mean it's kind of like it's kind of like how they used to throw somebody like make somebody still be alive and have a twist ending but now the twist ending is not having a twist ending because you right. have to have I mean, a twist there's ending. No, there, I mean, well, even this one had a twist ending, if you will. But, yeah. I, I mean, come on. The guy was stabbed in the heart. His heart is made of titanium alloy. That's what we don't know. Okay. Carbon well, fiber. if he was, uh, if he was uh, in some way, shape, or form Wolverine-esque, then I believe this. But otherwise, no. See, what they should have done is just gone like the hobo with a shotgun route. If they really wanted to go all out, that's because I was I was thinking maybe they would do that. But if it's just for a certain segment of time, then it's like, well, sorry, there's already hobo with a shotgun out there. You know? <laughs> and Rutger Hauer ain't in your movie. That is a fine film. And the oh, problem with man. some of those like 80s tribute films, too, is that we think about them in our minds and we go back and we're like, oh, God, I love that movie. I used to watch it all the time. Well, go back and watch those movies again because they're shit. They the really dialogue are. is really terrible. Are. The costumes oh, yeah. are terrible. Oh, yeah. So while the music might be cool again, it's like I'm trying you to can't... think of one that fits that bill. Beastmaster. <laughs> oh, my God. That movie's always on TV. I haven't seen it oh, on TV. the t- second one. It used to be. It used to be on TV. Oh, 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 a long time ago. Yeah, but... Uh, 
yeah, but no, Beastmaster. That was awesome. Well, I get TBS now, but from the 90s. It's like, oh, do you? Yeah, it's like early edition, oh, okay. that show with Kyle Chandler. Oh, gotcha. Where yeah. he got the paper early. So when I turn in, it's like, you know, Conan is oh. still on NBC. It's, oh, yeah. All right. Uh, but yeah, so you have these tribute movies, and everyone's like, oh, cool. Like, Stranger Things did it really well, where I heard some people criticize that show because it wasn't gritty and like the, uh, like 80s enough. But that's a good thing because the acting was crap. And in the eighties, absolutely. Yeah, with the especially with those breed of movie. And but it, it, and it's not they're not convincing performances. No. If the acting is crap, then no one's going to care if they die. Well, or they not. really weren't going with Stranger Things for like a straight up slasher or no, no. to have no, something no. that was really you know was, we're gonna we're gonna you know do a last house on the left style you know. Well, no, this was more, this right was more like ET yeah. meets uh, meets elements of Hellraiser. You know, with that alternate universe sort of mm-hmm. thing more than anything else. But, and and it, you got the vibe of the E.T. big time with the kids and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. So, And that's the problem with uh, whenever there's like a plot hole or an inconsistency with like these type of movies. You can just uh, wash it away with like, oh, it's like, you know, the 80s. It's a, they were throwing it. They were, it was a tribute to the 80s. <laughs> no. Like, no. You, no, you're that gonna, doesn't work. You're, yeah. you're, I'm not an you're gonna audience have to, member from yeah, the 80s. So. You're going to actually have to tell a story, I'm afraid. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Well. Yeah. I found this website called shitty, shittyimdbreviews.tumblr.com. Oh, wonderful. wonderful. Okay. Uh, this is the review for Scrooged. I disliked this movie when it was first appeared 14 years ago, so just now I've seen part of it again, and like a bloody car accident scene, I couldn't turn away. But afterwards I felt dirty and polluted, as if I needed to take a shower. I had forgotten how truly mean-spirited and ugly this glob this glob of vile really was. What? Yuck. Vile? He says glob of vile. Of Yuck. all of the Does holiday he mean films? Forget. Does he mean vile or vile? Bile, B-I-L-E. Oh, because yeah, I thought it was oh, no, bile. Sorry, vile. Oh, vile, like a yeah. vial of bile. Yeah, a, vi- a bile in vial. the gallbladder, right? Not the gallbladder, but the gallbladder. I'm, I, you know what? Of all of the the holiday movies, I can watch Scrooge. I like that's one I, of my. Favorites. I mean, it's Bill Murray. Who can't watch Bill Murray? I mean, yeah. seriously. Uh, and it, it holds up. We watched it last year. And Bobcat Goldthwait. I mean, come yeah. on, he just cracks me up. <laughs> Yeah, he he pretty much nailed that. Scene. Oh yeah, that whole movie. Well, this was fun. I'm uh, leaving all of that in. I'm not editing anything. Um, so you can uh, Jazz Odyssey. Yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. Jazz Odyssey, the we podcast. Yeah. Jazz, Jazz yeah, Odyssey, turn it up. Woo! Yeah, you can catch all of these uh, episodes at SoundCloud.com/slash Movie Show Theater and. Um, Movie show theater is by no How means. How many do we have right now? I think like seventy or so. Really? Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Sweet. Yeah. So uh, next week we're gonna do a movie. We well, yeah. and you're gonna have to check out our Facebook if you want to know what it is. You're gonna have to find us. Is it Star Wars? Again, all, all the Star Wars is in one episode. Oh, this is our last episode before oh, Rogue One comes out. I know. We went and watched uh, Force Awakens again. Yeah. It was the first time since I had seen it in theater. And yeah. I was real shitty about the Force Awakens when it came out. Not like real shitty, but I kind of jumped on that bandwagon. Right. was like... It's all shit that's been done. This is it's all, all just it's all bullshit. just uh, it's all just episode four redone. Yeah, you know, it's I, all just the same story. I don't right. know who that guy was, but uh, I know. that shit is was awesome. It was good. And then you there realize so many liberties. <laughs> oh, I know. And I love the fact. I love the fact that the you know uh, the two main characters, Ray and Finn, were so gleeful and so. I I, I don't I. I hesitate to say childlike, but that's the way they no, were. They totally were, and, that's... and and that was so refreshing because you don't have this. They were just excited about everything, and and I love to see that kind of energy in a story that could have been very bogged down by a gloomy ass teenager girl who just oh I was abandoned. Emo Anakin, exactly. Emo Anakin, indeed. The sand, it's everywhere. Where? I hate everything, and it's bad and boo! 
but yeah, I feel like that scene where Finn and Ray go onto the uh, Falcon for the first oh, time. Oh, God, that's so brilliant. I feel like that's all symbolic of like them kind of taking over the franchise. Oh, At yeah. At least it felt that way to me. I don't know oh, if it, it was like intentional. Did, I, I don't think it was intentional, but again, it did kind of feel that way too because it made you – it gave not just the franchise a little new life, but uh, obviously the Falcon – you know, yeah, yeah. Re, it, it's like his... it, you, they could rename it the Phoenix at this point, mm-hmm. and that would make a lot of sense because kind of from the ashes, from the dirt, here he comes. It's coming back again, you know. Mm-hmm. And after and and the fact that Han and Chewie are still looking for it after yeah, yeah, all that yeah. time, you know. And I like the that they chose to have Harrison Ford pretty much do nothing. Like he didn't really serve a purpose aside from like passing the torch. Which is cool. a lot of it, yeah. And to die, every yeah, exactly. Every everything navigation wise that he did, Ray was already one step ahead on. Which I think they plan to kind of make him irrelevant. That's why they had to like. Well, and I think that he. I think that it. it uh, again, you couldn't have made that movie without having him get killed. Yeah. The whole the whole impetus the whole the not the impetus the whole um, uh, thing that's going to drive this new bad guy is is the fact that he was able to do the most horrible thing you could possibly do and kill mm-hmm. your own father you know i mean that really was i think that what what's going to drive the whole evil vibe of this whole new genre if you will mm-hmm. or generation I think, I think snoke's going to be teeny tiny actually i think snoke's a variation of vader Right. Uh, that was kind that of a, a well, the scars on the forehead and everything. There were some, there were some, you know. Some... Wow, I just jumped right into Star Wars. I know. <gasps> Ewoks. Yeah, Snoke is actually, will you shave off all that fur off an Ewok? It's and actually Wicked Snoke. W. Warwick. That's Snoke. It is. It's, um. It's Wicked. Yeah. He went through yeah. some changes after the Battle of Endor. <sighs> Shit well, got real, and that's what happened. Shit got real on Endor after the- We're going to close on the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> oh, no. 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 Oh, no. Look, that's a long Darth Vader yeah. end of episode three we want on, on Yeah, that no kidding. Oh. I want to get that loop for half an hour. <laughs> All right. Well, until next Tuesday, I'm Jimmy Malone. I've been Snowden. <laughs> I still think I'm Stuart Randolph. Maybe. <laughs> and this has been Movie Show Theater. Haunted by us.
horses won't drive And this is for a bright blue sky And this is for when you Oh,